0: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive.
1: This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark welcome everybody to another edition of the hive jive i am here today with a very special guest again we are doing an interview so as you've heard me repeat numerous times ken is not going to be with us today but we are working on that he's in the process of getting a brand new laptop and a brand new phone and all the fun little accessories that go along with it so hopefully he will start being able to join us here very soon and uh, we can have a lot more fun with these. But for today, in place again, I have a very special guest. We're going to be speaking with Dave Dorigi, and Dave is the author of a new book called "Show Me the Honey: The Adventures of a Accidental Apiarist." Um, Maybe almost a reluctant beekeeper, for sure, when it comes down to it. Nice to meet you, uh, John, uh, electronically here. But uh, yeah, Right, was, virtually. Welcome sorry, to COVID. Sorry Ken, <laughs> sorry, Ken
0: can't be here. I love his southern drawl, and yes. uh, but uh, you've got a very clear, beautiful speaking voice, too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Dave, you have done quite a few things in your life prior to bees ever being on the horizon. You were a uh, marketer for the Olympics and the NBA, correct?
0: That's correct. But no, you're right. I was... Uh, my, my career was in sports marketing and I was uh, we had a, we had an NBA team up here in Vancouver, the Vancouver Grizzlies. They moved to Memphis and I was the vice president of the team in Vancouver and I moved down to Memphis with them. I spent about eight years in the NBA and then 10 years in the uh, the Olympic Games. So to switch from sports marketing to beekeeping you, you can really see the uh, the parables there and you can really draw a close analogy between sports marketing and beekeeping right?
1: Yeah yeah. Uh, you also have a background in radio broadcasting.
0: As, as I mentioned to you a million years ago, um, just right after Marconi invented the radio, um, I came about, and I was a di- I was a disc jockey. If you were if you were an insomniac in Vancouver, Canada, in 1979, you know if you couldn't sleep, you you know who I am because I did the All Night Show on a radio station up here for as a disc jockey for good heavens for four years. That was my first career, radio broadcasting. Yeah.
1: Wow, very cool, and that—that was old school. Like disc jockey, actually meant something because you literally had to to switch out the discs. And this, oh man,
0: you would play records. You go back a quarter of a turn so that when you hit the record, it would speed up, and you'd say something clever, Tony Orlando and Don, and you know you'd put a disc on and then play it, and then you do the time and temperature, and everything's changed so much. But it's absolutely wonderful to hear the success of your podcast. Thank and you. to be involved in something modern and something new. And, you you know, we were discussing this earlier before you had me on. And, uh, you know, every, every day you get feedback on how many people are listening and who's out there. We'd have to wait three months to get the ratings to come in before the general manager would come down the hall and say, you're fired. No one's listening to you, you know. But um, <laughs> podcasts are, are modern. They're up to date. And you seem to be in the cutting edge with, I love the name, Hive Jive. I mean, who thought of that? What? It sounds like a White. Smokey Robinson song, you know, the yeah. Hive Jive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ken's wife actually is the one that uh, that came up with that. And I don't remember if it was jive hive or hive jive, but she had the words all there and we kind of played with it, looked around to see what else was out there and then finally settled on the hive jive and, and, you know, jive can go many different ways, but I thought it was very fitting for like, Hey, it's a couple people are just going to sit around and we're just going to, you know, chat about bees and, and see where it takes us. And so it it. Well, it's well,
0: nothing but success man i love your enthusiasm your your background both of you and bees is authentic you know what you're talking about and that's why i'm nervous about this interview cuz i don't know what i'm talking about when it comes to bees you guys do it's kind of like don't ask me do they have four legs or six legs i'm not sure you know they got legs
1: is a scorpion an arachnid or is it not cuz technically it has 10 instead of 8 but you know exactly um, so you actually, you made a, you made a comment there that made me think of something that I did pick up on when I was going through the book, um, talking about the clever name. A lot of the chapter names in there seem to be either very close play on words to music, song titles, and or movie or TV shows. And I got a big kick out of that as well. <laughs>
0: well, I, I'm sure you, you, you read the chapter or you got a kick out of the chapter's name. I've looked at bees from both sides now. Yeah. Are, 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 you, are you
1: familiar with what that is a reference to? Uh, it is a uh, a love song, I believe. Judy Collins,
0: about 1968. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, but I describe when you're when you're beekeeping in the outyard, where there's you know 100,000 bees out there, because that's where we keep all the hives in the outyard, and you're you're watching the bees walk on the outside of your veil. It's not not an unnatural thing. You might have 10, 12, you might have 20 bees there. And what are you seeing? You're seeing their stomachs. That's all you see. Yeah, and I try to describe in that chapter the one moment where you look at the you're looking at the outside of your veil, kind of think, oh God, there's a lot of bees on here. But you realize that one of them, you're not looking at its stomach and its legs, you're looking at its wings, which can only mean one thing: it's on the inside of your veil. Yep. I've looked at bees from both sides now, and that and that one second of you're just beekeeping to, oh my God, I've got a real problem in here. There's a bee on the inside of the veil, and then you realize you feel a bead of sweat going down your head. And it's going down like sweat does because often, you know, in Austin where you are up here in the summers in British Columbia, it gets very hot you're in your beekeeping suit and you're sweating, but then you, you're, you're really feeling it, but you feel a bead of sweat going the other way, going up, you know, and you go, oh my God, that's not. So that's what that chapter was about, the terror when you get a bee on the inside of your veil. And I, I've had so many zipper breakdowns, holes in my suits, just things I forgot to do up, you know, and yep. beekeeping as the book points out, it's, you said it before, it's not for the faint of heart, it it is not, (laughs) it is not easy.
1: Yeah, it is, it is not a, it's kind of an interesting like duality to it because it can be used for PTSD and stress and relaxation, but it depends on what you're doing and the situation that you're in. If you've got one colony in your backyard and they're very gentle, you know, it can be a very Zen experience, but if you're dealing with a lot of colonies and there's a lot of chaos and you're in a rush, it is completely the opposite of that experience.
0: <laughs> exactly, and um, I'm not not a good beekeeper. And the book is very, very, uh, it was reviewed recently by the New York Times, and they said self-deprecating was the word that they uh, they used for it, and it is self-deprecating. I, I, I in no way pretend to be an expert. I try to point out some of the funny things, wrap some of the lessons in humor. My girlfriend's a great beekeeper, Jeannie, and uh, you know when she goes into the hive, she takes the time, she's free of all other thoughts, and she focuses on the situation at hand. I've always got an appointment going on. I've only got 10 minutes to do it. I got my cell phone on. I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner and, you know, uh, trying to figure out what my shopping list is and how to deal with my next meeting. I'm not in the moment. And I think, I think the bees, um, pick up on that. Yeah. I think that if you're, a uh, distracted and you're just not into it, haven't given yourself enough time. It's a recipe for disaster. As I, as I drop my hive tool, knock a frame over, trip on something. And then, you know, notice that my zipper's not not done up. It's like, I'm like the Keystone cops of beekeeping.
1: (laughs) See Ken has a lot of those same issues. Um, (laughs) His son and I both are often telling him slow down, go slow. And he's like, I don't do anything slow. And we're like, yes. And they realize that. (laughs) Yeah. Got to yeah. take a step back and, and and go a little bit slower with it. Uh, it is it is definitely, it can be a learning curve in there. But, you know, we all have moments. I've had some zipper failure moments that are, that are epic. And luckily, some of the worst ones ended up being best case scenarios where it didn't go as bad as it could. But uh, the suits that we wear are the triple layer, like triple thick. They've got a mesh on the outside and they've got a woven kind of waffle foam on the inside center. Right. So air can go through it but it's super heavy. It's thick enough that if the bees try to sting you, their stinger actually doesn't stick. It goes between the holes. And so you don't get the pheromone release and you don't get the dead bees. So that helps, but they can still find places. The The sleeve is still right. just a canvas, you know, and it's thin. And then of course, you know, some sadistic SOB out there invented these bee gloves that have a screen right across your wrist. Oh yeah, the yellow,
0: it's yellow. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, You know, so it's like, oh, yeah, because that's a fun place to get stung. Let's give them a vent there so the bees can access them and reach them.
0: Well, when I talk about one of my zipper failures, um, you know, I I put a great deal. I never thought more about a zipper in my life than when I got stung three times on the face, you know. And then we took the suit off. And imagine just, I describe it in the book, just doing up a zipper properly. And then in the middle of the zipper, like not at the end or at the beginning, but in the middle, it just starts to kind of, it comes (laughs) apart. The zipper teeth, I don't, I mean... I think the zip, there's an XYZ corporation that makes zippers. There's probably two zipper manufacturers in the world. But, you know, you'd think that that would be really important for a bee suit manufacturer to get the best zipper that's not just going to come apart with some cheap plastic teeth, you know. Yep. So you go into the hive, and you've got, let's say, a four-inch gap at the back of your head. You can't see it. Yep. And as you know, the bees are smart. If, if there's a way in, they'll find it.
1: Yeah, and, uh,
0: and, and that realization, when you see a bee walking around the inside, what, what do you do? You, you smash yourself to hit it when well, you're hitting yourself in the head, you run away. And my, you know, and all the bees are following you. My girlfriend said, you look like pig pen running down the road, smashing yourself in the head, you know?
1: Yep. Yeah. You have your own little cloud of dust following you around. Like,
0: yeah. Like the peanuts cartoon pig pen. But, um, you know, just I've never given so much thought to a zipper in my life as when that happened, you know, and it was, Something as simple as that. So I bought a different brand. I guess that's part of getting into beekeeping is you learn what brands and what manufacturers make the good stuff. You talk to other beekeepers. Eventually, after a few years, you solve these problems. We were at the outyard last night and, um, you know, I didn't get bit once. I didn't have any mishaps. But the chapter talks about the first time we went up there and it was yeah. just a calamity of, of errors yep. that you just go, wow. You, you, you go, did that happen? You come home and you sit down and you think. I'm going to write some of that down because I'm going to forget it in a few years, and I can't believe I can't believe what happened just happened, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm so surprised. that's kind of what the book, huh? I'm surprised you didn't give yourself a concussion as <laughs> yeah. many times as you were smacking yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get a nosebleed because you hit yourself so hard in the face. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You, uh, you, you had multiple instances on just that one adventure. You'd already been stung, then finally you thought it was over with, and then you felt the one crawling around on you. And you know it's in there. You're panicking. Yeah, it it is actually a terrifying feeling. And I think any beekeeper who hasn't experienced it, they will eventually. There's always that moment where you're looking and you do have that moment where you're like, oh, that's different. Why does that look different? And then you're like, oh, God, that's the wrong side of the bee. You know, yep. looking and, at its back instead of its stomach.
0: And bee stings, you know, it's not as, I don't know, I see some people, they beekeeping without suits on. I mean, is that for real or is that some kind of uh, fake news? You know, I mean, I, you know, you can imagine beekeeping, you know, with your bare hands or, you know, yeah. I know people do it. I mean, you, you interview people and people that do, but I, I've often thought, and, I, and I, I devote some time to this in one of the chapters, what would beekeeping be like if bees didn't sting? You know, it would really be a different hobby. I mean, it would take all of the um, the fun of getting be being able to dress up like you know a Halloween costume out of it. It would, I'm sure that bears and other animals would have free reign on stealing honey because they wouldn't get stung. Yeah, honey wouldn't be as precious if bees didn't sting. So the sting is the stinging, the pain is a really important element. I think of the final product being um, much more sought after, much more special, much more revered. You know, when, when you get the honey, it's you had to go through a dangerous maneuver to, to, to get this honey. So that's, I try to yeah. point that out. The stinging, stinging is an important part of beekeeping and get yeah. used to it. It, it always hurts. You
1: pay. Yeah. yeah it, it's the price you pay to be able to have the, the honey and to make sure that everything is, you know, it's, it's fair. You, you give and take and you're taken yeah. from them. So you have to take a few stings in the process.
0: And that's another, another chapter when I, you know, because I was a new beekeeper when I wrote the book is the taking, I, uh, I was quite, um, not disappointed, but I, I, I found it a little bit shocking how really what we're doing is stealing honey from the bees, okay? So when people find out you're a beekeeper, they're, for, oh, fantastic, you're doing it for the environment. They think that you are like um, God's gift to nature. You're so wonderful. And you go, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing something that they made. Like, it's not mine. I'm taking it. Yeah. You know, so I found that kind of surprising, you know, the, the, the nature of beekeeping, the fundamental premise is yeah. that we kind of fool them into making more than they need and then take it. And then what do we do? I don't know about in Austin, but up here in Canada, after we, um, you know, harvest the honey, we feed them sugar water. Do you guys do that?
1: So it depends on the situation. Um, ultimately we go through. So the bees are predispositioned to make a ton of honey to begin with. And, it, right. and they're, they're made for the climates like where you're at, where it can get bitter cold and stay cold longer. But then down here, We don't have that, but they're still going to make as much honey as they can, but they literally only need 40 pounds. Like one medium box is all they need to survive our winter. And some winters, they come out of that and they've still got four or five frames of solid capped honey left over. So it's a, it's a much easier give and take for us. We can take a hundred pounds off of a hive, leave 40 or 50 pounds there. And they're perfectly good. But we do have, we have the summer dearth and the winter dearth. So right now we're in the summer dearth where it is so hot, nothing grows, nothing blooms. There's no nectar. So we do our honey harvest just before that. And if you are a responsible beekeeper, you're trying to leave them that 40 pounds of honey there. If they don't, then yes, you get back into a situation where either you took too much or they burn through their food stores and you have to start doing that supplemental sugar feeding of the sugar syrup.
0: Right. And that's what that was the second revelation that I had that was I thought, oh, it's kind of odd that we're stealing this stuff. And uh, people think we're superheroes of nature for, for you know interfering with their lives and stealing their honey. Okay. And the second one was then you know I learned that you know from the bee club. Well, now you have to feed them sugar water, and I I can't think of anything more unhealthy than just water and sugar. You know, I mean it's yeah. almost like feeding them poison. You know, I mean uh, would you <laughs> feed that to your kids? Just here's a drink, a of bunch of sugar mixed in with water. You know. Yeah. So I, uh, and then you know up here we we're more seasonal, whereby you know it, it gets cold in the winter. You've taken a bit too much honey. If you want to keep them alive, you hold the key. It's a boiling broth of just pure white granulated sugar mixed two parts sugar to one part water, like a sticky syrup, you know? Yep. And um, no one told me that um, after you boil it, you got to cool it down, you know? So one of my first experiences, I stuck it in there. It's boiling. I think oh, I got, I got to do this. I got to get going. I'm late for a meeting. I, Oh, damn it. I got to feed my bees. You know? I mean, it's like, it's like a, one more thing to do, you know, but I'll do it quickly because right. I'm a responsible beekeeper. I'll boil up the water. What time is it? It's 10 to seven. Jeez, I got to get going. Okay. So I just take it with my gloves on, put it in there. And then I come in the next day and all the bees are dead because their proboscises had burnt off because I fed them boiling sugar water, you know? Yep. So this is, this is what the book is all about coming up against dumb things. I do. And then some, someone say, you didn't really do that. Did you? Yeah. Well, okay. You know, <laughs> you, you gotta let the sugar water cool down, Dave. You, you don't just boil it and feed it to them. I mean, do you have any brains? How could you've done that? You know? So, um, that's just one example. You know, there's hundreds yeah. of mistakes that I've made that people can learn from. Don't
1: make my mistakes. Yeah, and I mean, the answer to a lot of that is, well, I know now. <laughs>
0: <Like>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then it also occurred to me as odd that um, you know, if they if they keep on eating the sugar water and then you know producing honey, kind of, uh, I know it takes them through the winter, but I'm wondering, is any of the honey in those little cells just processed sugar water? I mean, what's the, what's the point of beekeeping if you're if you're just processing the um. Sugar through their systems, they can make what tastes like honey, but yeah, it's not the case. I mean, it's more complicated than that. By the time right. the spring rolls around, they're back out on their regular patrol to get uh, to get nectar.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we go through a very complicated process of making sure. Like for me specifically, we we will feed if they need it. We'll feed in the very very late part of winter, early part of spring. And then the whole goal for us, based on our nectar flow, is we stop feeding around the middle of April at the latest, if not the beginning of April. And when we do feed, we're only feeding one quart jar every week. So it gives them plenty of time to take it, burn through it, use it to raise the brood or or draw out wax, and then never enough for them to actually store it and cap it. If they're storing and capping it, you're feeding them too much. And the whole point of that is we're just trying to get them by until that nectar flow starts. And then when it does start, we back off and there shouldn't be any excess sugar in there. And then they can go from there and and build up. So that's usually the plan. Um, I do agree, though, like nectar has a lot of stuff in it. Honey has a lot of stuff in it. The pollen has a lot of stuff in it. You're looking at all these amino acids. You're looking at all these um, minerals and and different content that's down inside there. And sugar doesn't have that. It's just straight sucrose and water and that's it. So we do add in um, an electrolyte mix that we put in there for them, and we also put in probiotics that are specifically for bees. So we try and bolster that up a little bit to help with some of the offsets that it can have from being just the well,
0: That sounds awfully complicated to me, and I don't want to have to uh, even. I I don't even know how to spell. I wouldn't know an electrolyte if it fell off the sky and dropped in my foot. And I'm just happy to do, you know, do sugar and water and let it cool down. Is about as complicated as I'm willing to allow it to be. But I understand that some of these, uh, you know, and you told me earlier that you have 48 hives or something. You're not, you're not a commercial beekeeper per se, but I'm sure that you're knowledgeable of big commercial operations. I'm sure. Yeah, I know several large.
1: Yeah, you have have gone out to
0: see some of them. And somebody told me that they have giant vats of honey outdoors that are not a honey of, of sugar water that the bees can go visit. Is that true? That um, if some you theory. had a commercial apiary that you might just have a big garbage can full of sugar water that you leave out there?
1: Yeah, there's um, there is a beekeeping operation in Saskatchewan actually that has giant drums, metal drums that they yes. fill with hay and wood. And then they fill that with sugar syrup um, or in some cases, some people use corn syrup, which we, try not to do because then that's even further down the sketchy road of you know now now you're back to almost your analogy of I might as well feed them a coke (laughs) 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 so but yeah there are some people that will do that to help bulk them up for the winter time they'll put out if they've got too many hives they'll put out massive drums full of straw and hay so that the bees can walk on it as the sugar level goes down and just feed them that way I was I was kind of shocked to see that myself but I have seen
0: my book looks at, um, you know, the importance of commercial beekeeping and how the industry might not be alive if it weren't for the almond crops, which I found, you know, really interesting. Uh, but <laughs> we could argue that. Um, but putting that aside, I think that for your, your listeners and for uh, general public to know, I mean, as long as you're buying your, your, your honey from, you know, at a farmer's market or a local guy like you or me that has very few hives you're likely to get the real thing, you know? Yeah. And I just, I think that's another wonderful aspect of, of beekeeping is that you go to Costco and you buy it off the shelf there and you, you don't know what you're getting. Whereas buy it off a guy that you just know down the road that keeps bees, you're gonna pay 30 or maybe 50% more for the jar but yep. at least you know that um, a lot of pain went into it, and the guy that a guy or woman that raised them probably got stung a bunch of times. So that you know, it's more satisfying for you to slather on your toast, knowing some pain went into it. And, you know, some <laughs> some jackass was doing everything wrong to get it to come out the other end.
1: <laughs> oh, um. <laughs> that's great! <laughs> I like that. You, you know, buy, you buy you
0: buy commercial you know thing from costco you know big deal it's like a fact it's like came of a
1: factory right, right. blood sweat
0: and tears went into
1: our honey john you know That's we right. care we love <laughs> them all <It's> me. <laughs> well well we try to love them all it depends on the day we've had
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so you've you've kind of had many bouts of why the hell did i get into this and and i'm done and then obviously you're still with it you've still stuck with it but Back in 2012, that's when you originally your sister gifted you that first hive. Yes. There. Um, I take it there there are no more hives on the boat at this point. They're all out no, of the no.
0: There's they're still alive. First of all, it, for your listeners, um, to make my story weirder, um, I live on a floating home. I mean, I don't know if they have float homes down in Austin, Texas. I live on a river, a big river in British Columbia called the Fraser River, just outside of Vancouver, and I'm on an old beat up barge that um, is in a river estuary that goes up and down with the tide. So the first thing we were worried about, my sister was sitting on my my deck one day, you know, sitting out there and she says, Dave, it's so, she's a beekeeper. She's an ardent beekeeper. Really good at it. And she said, you know, um, it's so beautiful out here. You've got the uh, riparian zone with plants that grow on the river. You've got a, a deserted island in front of where you live. Behind you are a bunch of farms, you know, potato farms and raspberry and blueberry farms. Would you mind if I dropped off one of my hives and just left it here? And here's the key, John, here's the key. These words, I'll do all the work. Those five words. So I looked at her and I go, no, you know, I mean, uh, barring when I have guests over and have a barbecue in my back deck and they're not going to sting them, are they? No. So she leaves it there with her husband. They come by one night, Len and Miriam, and they drop off the hives. And, um, you know, I couldn't help but be interested. And she'd come by a couple weeks later and go through the hive and look for the queen. And I'd kind of stand there and look at them. And I took a bit of an interest. And at Christmas, she gives me a Christmas card saying the hive is yours. It's, you know, I'm happy Christmas. They're yours. 15,000 little insects. I mean, what am I going to do on the back of my barge in the winter in Canada? You know, so it was sink or swim. So I, um, as I describe in the book, I took a beekeeping course. I went to a beekeeping convention. I joined clubs, but I was, I was so lousy at everything I did. You know, I, I'm a certified apiarist. So are you, what did you say? You have the master certificate? I'm a,
1: yeah, I'm a master beekeeper, certified master beekeeper.
0: But I found all those books so boring to read and everything and all the studying and the biology and the memorizing the thorax and the abdomen and the, uh, you know, all these parts and, you know, whether they got nozema or noxema. I don't, I couldn't. I
1: couldn't <laughs> Is it a face cream or a disease? I don't know. <laughs> Is it a, You know, I mean, and I
0: was, I was busy, but um, some after, after the third or fourth hive died somebody said we'll take a beekeeping course you know the club hasn't helped and the um you know the convention that you went to didn't help and when i got the books i just look at the pictures i mean i'm not gonna memorize you know time for that (laughs) you know american fowl brood is that a bird or what what is american fowl brood you know and what is you know might vaporization all these things i i failed biology nine in high school and I have very little interest in anything that requires memorization, pedantic book learning.
1: Yeah. So I, I entomology was not your choice. That was your no. sister's. <laughs> exactly.
0: And your, um, your listeners should know, uh, you know, now part-time, I teach I teach the university courses in, in international sports marketing. But I had to take this exam. I hadn't taken an exam to, you know, the exam that I had to take yeah. to get the beekeeping certificate, which I really wanted. Because my sister had it, my girlfriend had it, and I wanted to be a certified beekeeper. I cheated on the exam, you know. I mean, I hate to admit it. I wrote the answers on my hand, and I, you know, here I am, and I'm an adult. You know, I'm in my, uh, I'm in my late fifties. You know, had a career and everything. Yeah, and I'm all nervous about this stupid beekeeping exam. It's it's as it's as ridiculous as as bees in the inside of my veil. I mean, I'm getting all uptight. I can't sleep at night. The exams next week. I missed three classes. I haven't done any of the readings. I'm going to fail the exam. You know, but 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 that chapter that I write about called Bee School. I put a lot of scientific information in there about the bees, which which I do find fascinating. I just don't want to remember memorize it all because you can just Google it nowadays. Why bother learning it?
1: Yeah. Pick up your phone and and uh, yeah. hey Google or hey Siri and you're good to go. Right, but there's a big
0: difference if you Google Noxema and it should have been Nozema because you might end up spreading a bunch of disease on your face when you want it to be a skin cream, yes. or you might end up putting a nice smell perfume in the hive that was meant for yeah yeah you, yeah get, yeah yeah
1: yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that is that is one of the fun things that some of the terminology can be really interesting, but it's it's really. That, I actually just got a call from the chief apiary inspector for the state of Texas, and I hung up on her.
0: <laughs> you, well, you, are, you have an argument over something?
1: No, I don't know. My phone just started ringing, and then by default, I went and swiped it down, and as soon as I did, I saw who it was, and I was like, right now? Mean right so, now? You mean, right right now? It's <laughs> right probably
0: now. her. Saying, get that idiot off your show. He's
1: taking beekeeping back a hundred years. You know." <laughs> uh, She's a, uh, she's a, she's a character. She's, she's a really great lady and everything. But um, if she's calling me, there's, there's probably, it's not, it can't be good. <laughs> you know <laughs> what?
0: It's funny you mentioned that because when I finished writing the book, because I kind of thought I didn't want it to lose credibility because it's got a bunch of misinformation in it. And, you know, and that, that would be bad if, you know, I, I refer to the, the, the bees as the boys when they're girls or fundamental right. stuff like that, you know, right. so, um, a friend of ours is the uh, is one of the uh, bee inspectors up here in British Columbia, Axel. So I had him read the whole book, and I said, you know, and he's very scientific, and he works for the provincial government of British Columbia, inspecting hives, and he has an area, probably, it's probably the same down in the state of Texas. And uh, then we sat down, and he said, look, I I get it, a lot of stuff, you want to be funny, you're trying to make a point, I can let you do that, this one you got to change. No, you can't put that in there. Take that out, change it, you know, and it was really helpful to have him go through the whole book, circle things, and saying, "Now, now it's still a dumb book with a whole bunch of stupid mistakes you made, but at least it's, it's accurate. And um, I haven't had many beekeepers since the book came out about three months ago, you know, um, take umbrage with anything and tell me that I made a, a huge mistake despite my uh, lack of knowledge, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: So you, so you, what you're saying is you did not create another cartoon version of the bee movie.
0: I, 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 I can't remember if I saw the bee movie. That's the one, when Jerry Seinfeld was a voice yes. and someone told me that the bees were all boys it is and the most right of off the bat
1: yeah it is the most inaccurate horrible depiction of how a beehive in a colony would work um, it's very sexist it's very like the whole thing is just so wrong <laughs> I,
0: I heard that exact same thing but I haven't seen that movie yet it's only 20 years old maybe I'll get around to watching it on Netflix
1: <laughs> uh, you know I mean if, if you if you wanted to watch it just from a comical standpoint of how how horribly inaccurate it is that would be okay but otherwise you're perfectly fine never watching it <laughs> <laughs> But no, so your, your book actually, it does a really great job. You go through and and again, you you manage to take these lessons that you learned and put them in a comical light, self-deprecating if it is, and go through and you get the point across. And it's one of those things that kind of like what we originally envisioned that first year of our show to be like is a, a concept where somebody who's just getting started or who has been doing it for a little while can read it and can say, oh, wow, I, I don't feel so bad. I had a moment like that. I did that, you know, and and it's okay. We all have those experiences and you're able to share it, which then if it's a brand new beekeeper, they can read it and go, okay, things not to do. <laughs> right.
0: And I, I find that people um learn through an analogies so well, you know, but the chapter that I do on swarming bee clubs, I was at a a B club meeting um, one night and, and there was talk about the club getting too big because it was so crowded in the basement and there was no air conditioning and it was hot and crowded. And as we took a coffee break, someone in the B club said, you know, I think we're going to start our own B club and get Harry, Sal, Bill, and Mel are going to come over and we're going to move our B club to another church near where you know, the basements. And then I thought to myself, Christ, we're a B club swarming,
1: you know? Yep. <laughs> You're doing a reproductive split. <laughs>
0: And I thought, you know, what, what, what are the criteria for the new clubhouse going to You know, where we meet going to be? Well, we want it to be in a convenient location. We want it to be easy to find. We want it to be, you know, and then as I was driving home that night, I'm kind of scouting a new location. I'm thinking, I'm turning into a bee, you know? I mean, our our club is going to morph and swarm into two. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, be, why? Because, well, the PA system was lousy. We couldn't hear the president. Well, once the communication breaks down with the queen and the hive gets too hot and crowded, uh, you know, so it just kind of hit me like, what a great way to describe a swarm you know, in a way that's easy to understand, it's comical, and it's a fundamental um, you know, premise of beekeeping. So I've got about a dozen of those in there where something happens and I think, well this is a cool way to describe it that's not boring like the, the books that I never read when I've almost failed my beekeeping exam. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I think that's, for somebody that's thinking of taking up beekeeping, it's a cool book because uh, you, you'll understand right off the bat, it's expensive. It's time consuming. It's painful. It's
1: and in painful. the end,
0: it may not yield you one fricking jar of honey. Oh, great. Sounds like a hobby I want to get into, you know, like I reviewed the costs of, you know, a bee suits. Okay. And then you got to buy an extractor and then you're going to have to buy uh, Oh, wait a minute. You need to get some more frames or wait a minute. Have you got the, uh, you know?
1: Yeah. You've got Easy. a whole chapter in there of, of the price associated with
0: each of these things. It's easily a thousand bucks right off the bat. Okay. Then then I think, okay, now I'm set. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get hundreds of jars of honey. I'm going to show up at dinner parties with my honey that I made much better than bringing a bottle of wine. I'm so erudite and interesting. I've, you know, created my, then you get maybe five jars, cost you a thousand bucks for the equipment. Well, that's 200 bucks a jar, you know? Yep. But, you know, we, I've had some good years. I've had with my one hive and now I have two hives in the back of the float home. I've had some years where I've harvested a hundred, 150 pounds, you know, and, and then you bottle it and it's satisfying. and. uh Heck, I wrote a book about it. So it's been, a, it's been a, don't get me wrong, it's been a great hobby. But I think anybody considering going into it needs to be aware of there's a really good chance. What, what would you say, John, are the chances of a, a first year beekeeper having his hive live for an entire year, make it through the winter? And, uh, you know, how many hives die would be, you know, more about beekeeping than me.
1: Yeah, so what national, average, national average is about 40 to 50% um, yes. colony loss. And Thank so if you. you only have one hive, one hive, it's literally a coin toss. Is it going to live or is it not? And yeah. there's so many different things that could take it out. You know, the population of the colony got weak due to disease and mites or due to management practices. Maybe they starved, maybe they freeze because they couldn't stay warm enough. You know, like there's so many things that could go into it. You might have accidentally squished your queen, didn't know it, there's no eggs in there to make a new queen. They go queenless, they spiral and die. The next time you go, it's just, you know, spider webs and worm poop. <laughs> well, I think with
0: that that you know that, that message, the 50%. So, so no, I beat up, I was I, you know, I got a real into a real psychological down here because every year my hive was diving and I felt inadequate that I'm a grown man cheating on exams. I'm you know, I'm not advancing it, I'm killing all these, you know, these wonderful insects. And I'm really down on myself at the end of the book. And I realized it's really not me. I mean, uh, half the hives die. And then I reflect on 50 years ago, um, this gentleman, Axel, that helped me is older than me. The, the guy that I've described as being the the bee inspector, he's 15 years older than me. And he said, you know, when we kept bees where I lived with my dad back in the uh, early 60s, it was completely different. He yeah. said, you would put a box out there. You didn't worry about any of these diseases, this or that. You'd come by four months later and take the honey out. Yeah. And so, at the end of the book, I reflect upon. Look, it's yeah, yeah, it is me. I'm incompetent, and I'm not good at it. But there's a lot of other factors going on. Even if I did everything right, I'm glad that you verified, John, that it's a forty to fifty percent chance that your hive is not going to make it. Yeah. So I stop beating myself up, and I start looking at uh, colony collapse disorder, and start looking at all the other factors that are detrimental to bees. And then at the end, I have the revelation that even if I am lousy and make it, it's still worth doing because they're just so fascinating to observe even if even if you don't get an ounce of honey or the recognition you deserve through a certificate from passing the course or any of that you know it doesn't matter because just being in there is a very interesting experience to watch the way they collaborate watch them um they're always on the same page working together they're never arguing they're always just so you know yeah. i love looking at them but i'm, I'm not a good beekeeper
1: <laughs> there's there are many parallels in beekeeping that uh are lessons that we can definitely take and use towards humanity for sure when it comes to the the cooperation and how they get things done and how efficient they are and how effective yeah. their methods are like it, it just all the way around we could learn so much from that as a species <laughs> and being and able they, to be yeah, honest and, and yeah
0: the other cool thing is you're down there in Austin, Texas, and we're talking about something that we really have in common. I'm up here in Canada, you know, and my my partner, Jeannie and I were just in, in India. Uh, I was teaching over at a university over in India for the month of January. And, um, you know, while we were there, we'd take tours and uh, be at the country roads, and somebody would be keeping bees, and we'd observe the hobby over there. You know, so whenever I I travel anywhere, it's the same bee. It's the apius. Meliola, I can't even pronounce it. I was, it was a question in the test. I don't know how to spell it. Apis. Apis
1: mellifera
0: and That's the Latin term for honeybee. Yes, sir. Yes, and there are, I think, there's ten thousand different kinds of bees. I've tried <laughs> yes. to memorize them all, but I only got to number three. Um, <laughs> Apis <Aperis laughs> mellifera is universal. Yeah. So it makes your life more interesting. You're traveling somewhere, you run into a beekeeper. Um, you know, it's it's not like it's a different species somewhere else. I mean, it's somebody told me they're in every continent in the world except for Antarctica. You know that the bee has just proliferated the globe. Yeah, and I just find that fascinating in itself. This is a universal hobby that that binds people together. We have nothing in common, but now we're we're having a wonderful conversation about something that interests us both.
1: Yes. Yeah, it can definitely bring people together and cross divides. And that's something that the show has has really like demonstrated to myself and to Ken is people from all across the globe reach out and say they love the show or they really like this aspect. And then they share their own adventures and things that they're experiencing in their world. And you know, that, that is the bridge that connects us all. Otherwise we wouldn't have that commonality. We wouldn't know those people. We wouldn't know those stories. So it's been really wonderful from, from that aspect of being able to use beekeeping to reach out to everybody like that.
0: Yeah. Very, very, very cool what you're doing. And it's a very, very cool hobby. But, uh, but again, it is not an easy hobby and it's, uh, you got to go into it with your eyes wide open and it just, it helps so much. You mentioned that you had a mentor and and an older gentleman that kind of helped get you into it. And, uh, it really helps when you join a club or you have family or friends that are going to be there, you know, just to do it on your own and to try to get into it without the support of others is quite daunting and almost, uh, almost overwhelming. You need, you need people to help you.
1: Yep. Yeah. We have a lot of listeners that are in that situation and that's one of the reasons that they enjoy the show is they don't necessarily have anybody around in their area. They don't have a B club in their area, but they can tune into the podcast and they can become part of this bigger family and share those experiences with everybody. And, we do, I mean, we're on our 11th listener question episode. We just put that out last week. Um, they write into us. We go through, we read their questions on the air. We answer their questions. Um, and we're working our way up actually to doing live uh, virtual shows, but live shows where we can actually converse with them live in real time and answer their questions that way as well. So it's uh, it's amazing kind of what technology is, is going to be able to allow us to do where you know I can talk to people from... Canada and Australia and the United Kingdom. And we can all be on one call and talk about our bees and what's going on. And that's, that's amazing actually.
0: I like the, uh, the um, kind of juxtaposition here because the the hobby is really old fashioned. There's nothing, there's nothing really modern about beekeeping. It's not as though we've developed an app that tracks the bees and, you know, almost everything in life has changed so much. But um, when Langstroth, you know, that's the one thing I remember. You know know Dr. Langstroth. Yeah. Langstroth, the inventor of the Langstroth hive which was one of the true or false questions in that damn test I took. (laughs) Langstroth, you know, the test asked you, what year did Langstroth invent the hive? Who cares? I think it was 1873 or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter, 1872. But, um, you know, not much has changed, really. I mean, the bees go out, they collect the honey, they bring it back. You figure out a way to harvest it. But now you're putting a real modern spin on the communications aspect with a podcast and just taking it to the next level to let people know about it. But the hobby itself has not changed that much or the, uh, the, the, the bees have not changed in a million fricking years and they're not going to change for another million years. The yeah. way we, we interact with them hasn't changed that much either. You put on a suit to protect yourself. You go in there, you do it. You try to learn about them, but the, the, the podcast is so modern and so cool what you're doing um, spreading the information like a pheromone in the hive, man. You're like a pheromone, a digital pheromone. Fanning it out there. You're fanning <laughs> it out to planet Earth, you know, in kind of all these different digital ways through Google Play and Apple Podcasts and Podbean, and you're just fanning out that pheromone. And, um, you know, pe- some people pick up on it. Most people won't. The people that do might, they might do it for years. They might try it once. But um, it's really cool. I'm uh, really imp- impressed with your, uh, your energy and what you guys are trying to achieve here.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. And in reference to your book, um, again, for everybody out there, the book is Show Me the Honey, The Adventures of an Accidental Apiarist. And you're, uh, we were lucky enough to be able to get a copy of it that we're going to be able to send to one of our listeners as oh. a, just kind of a fun little token or prize. So here's what uh, what you guys need to do if you would like to enter in a chance to win a copy of the book here from Dave. Um, go out on either Facebook or Instagram, either one, and share with us your most memorable, oh my God, there's a bee in my suit moment. And uh, and we will go through and randomly choose from those and pick a winner and we will send you guys a copy of Dave's book. And uh, it, I think that is probably, like the book has so many things in it, but the whole thing about seeing the bees from both sides and your experience of the bee suit reminds me of instances I've had of Funny videos I've seen where, you know, the beekeeper is running off into the sunset, screaming and flailing (laughs) and like, so we all have those moments. So I think if everybody out there, you know, if you guys want a chance to win a copy of the book, definitely Facebook or Instagram, share us your story of your, your funny encounter with a bee inside your suit. I can't
0: wait to read some of them. And uh, because I'm, I'm not uh, shy of blatant self-promotion, thank you for that plug in the book. Yes. But the book is also available. This is terrible when a guest comes on. Oh, it's also available. No, but no, no. We did, I did a, uh, because I, we mentioned I was a, a radio broadcaster a million years ago, the publishers asked me to do an audio version of the book.
1: Oh. And I think that any
0: people like your listeners that enjoy um, getting information to, uh, through the audio you know, way of doing things might enjoy the, the download. You go on, on Audible or Amazon or, or wherever, and you can download a, an audio version of the book. I wouldn't recommend you listen to it while you're beekeeping because you don't want that distraction. But you can listen to it in your car or while you're going to bed or, or whatever. But um, it just is absolutely uh, wonderful to have to have met you, John, and uh, and Ken. You know, I was really looking forward to meeting him. I just, I, you know, that we just love that Southern Texas drawl. It just uh, is so charming. And uh, you know, uh, maybe another time I'll be invited back and be able to meet him too
1: yeah ken ken is a character he's he is literally a thoroughbred redneck like and he's proud of it <laughs> the term redneck
0: up here in canada has uh, some not great connotations Has so a I'm, different meaning. i'm surprised to hear you just say that like that
1: yeah down here in texas we're all like yeah we're a bunch of rednecks you know you got your rednecks <laughs> you got your hicks you got your hillbillies you know it just depends on the region where you're at
0: um it, a bunch of canucks up here in canada
1: yeah there you hey. go see it just uh it's it's just all in how you know where you grow up and and kind of what it is um <laughs> ken ken embraces it wholeheartedly so we just run with it he he was the first one to say well i'm a redneck and i'm like well there you go that is you are officially well, branded that on the show
0: <laughs> there you go well it's an absolute uh, pleasure to have to have met you and uh, the podcast is great i'm going to continue listening to it and uh you know, we got brought together through a little insect. Who would have thunk it?
1: Right, right. It's amazing what that little bee can do in all aspects of life and both their colonies and hives and in our lives as well. So I, I think it's great. And I definitely appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. Um, I, I'm glad you actually talked about the audio book because I didn't realize that there was an audio version. I knew that there was the paperback copy of it and people could go out there and get that. But that's awesome that you did an audio version because well there's
0: a there's a kindle version too so kin- and nowadays when you publish a book you got to write the damn thing it took me two and a half years of you know doing that and then you got to do the kindle version you got to go to the studio it, it's great i mean there's all these formats it's the way the world is yep but um anyways if anybody gets a kick out of the book and learns something it makes me feel real good so thank yeah. you yeah
1: and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it i i thought it was great like i said i i found myself setting up at night reading it and like giggling and laughing to myself but trying to stay quiet too because i'm like having fits of laughter, reading all of the tribulations that you've been through.
0: Right. Well, I'm going to mark that one paid. The fact that that brought you some joy sitting in bed laughing brings me a lot of joy. So thank you so much, um, John, for mentioning that.
1: Yes, not a problem. Well, thank you for joining us today, Dave. I greatly appreciate it. I look forward to being able to talk with you again soon. I hope so. And we'll see if we can have Ken involved and uh, see you know, what other trouble you've gotten yourself into (laughs) all All the best. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.
0: It's time for our guys to buzz off, but don't fret. The hive jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at the hive jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.